So, so far in the retreat, we've spoken about and very much rooted our practice in contemplating the first three foundations of mindfulness, of body, of Vedana, of feeling tone, of mental states, moods, emotions, and their offshoots in thinking. This morning I want to speak a little bit about the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which any of you, if you looked at the Satipatthana Sutta, uh, often feel a little bit puzzled by, because the first three foundations are so evidently pathways of embodied practice. And when you come to the fourth foundation of mindfulness, of course what you see is a series of lists, the four ennobling truths, you know, seven factors of awakening, the five hindrances, the six sense spaces, you know, the five aggregates of selfing. And I think sometimes people get a look at it and they think, well, you know, it seems somehow disconnected with the first three foundations. Certainly the fourth uh, foundation of mindfulness, in a way, it, it sort of sets the framework for the practice. It actually, you know, when we speak about the four ennobling truths, that there is unsatisfactoriness, there is a cause, there is an end, there is a pathway to its end. In a way, that teaching of the four ennobling truths is something that informs the entirety of this path. It actually diagnoses, in a way, the problem, you know, unsatisfactoriness. It kind of looks at the root of the problem. It creates a prognosis. You know, there is a possibility of healing this. And it gives a pathway in which that can happen. Now, there's a number of different translations of the Satipatthana Sutta, and I think many of the scholars of today kind of look at what is coherent in those translations between the Pali, the Chinese, and the Sanskrit versions. The first three foundations are always coherent. Um, the fourth is, is not the same in all of the translations. But what is coherent in all of the translations in the fourth foundation of mindfulness are two of the lists, and that's actually what I would more like to focus on this morning. One is the five hindrances that we've spoken about. Craving, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. And the other list that is always coherent throughout these different translations is what is called the seven awakening factors, the qualities that lead to wakefulness of mindfulness, of investigation, of energy, of joy, of tranquility, of concentration, of equanimity. <coughs> Personally, I find this actually quite interesting, but because I think it's something that really applies very directly to our lives, our practice. And I think that the Buddha spotted quite rightly that there is a certain tension in waking up in our lives. You have experienced that, I'm sure, very di directly here. 
that you have intentions, you have aspirations, you have commitments, and you have dedications to be present, to be awake, to understand, to embody kindness, to embody compassion. And how many times have you found that those intentions and those aspirations get hijacked, get sabotaged? Probably countless times. This is not something to judge. It's actually just something to acknowledge. You know, we go in the walking path perhaps with the intention to complete the walking and, you know, 20 steps down our path, we have a better idea. <laughs> Basically, you know, something else looks much more interesting. You know, we get up in the morning, I'm sure, with the intention to go into our day with kindness until you know, somebody walks on our newly washed floor. And, 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 you know, we just feel that the whole kind of inner arising of many of our habitual patterns. And think of how this plays out in our life. How the sabotaging, the hijacking of intentionality. So I think we, this is a very felt, a very lived experience, this kind of tension in waking up. And it's why the Buddha often called this path as something that's really quite countercultural, not only outwardly, but actually inwardly. Because it's swimming against the tide often of our prevailing inner culture which can easily be dominated and shaped and formed by our more familiar and habitual tendencies and patterns. That tension, you know, viewed through the lens of self-judgment and criticism and aversion is turned into a negative tension. I can't do this, I'm a failure, you know, I keep blowing it, I lose it, you know, I'll never be able to do that. That's when that tension is viewed actually through a particular lens of, of you know, lack of self-confidence, we might say. What the Buddha suggests, of course, is that this tension is the classroom in which we practice. That this is the path that the path doesn't begin after this tension is over, that this is a creative tension. This is where we learn, this is where we deepen in understanding, which is why it's put the factors, the qualities of awakening directly beside the hindrance factors. Because when we look at the hindrance factors, of course, we're not just talking about things that happen in meditation. We're, unfortunately, aversion is not confined to our meditation cushion. You <laughs> know, um, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry. We hardly leave them behind when we leave retreats. Eh? Or we hardly arrive here and suddenly find them waiting for us. Eh? These are, of course, some of the mental states, the emotional states, that are the root, uh, are, are pretty much rooted in every single emotional and psychological storm we experience in our life. We will see the threads of restlessness and worry, we'll see the threads of aversion, we'll see the threads of craving, you know, we'll, we'll see all the of, of doubt, and when we just can't figure it all out, you know, we just check out, and we have sloth and torpor. 
so alongside this, the, the Buddha recognized the kind of universality of this is the way that the mind operates. When there's confusion, when we don't understand how things actually are, and this is the way that the mind operates when we feel bereft of a, a pathway of, of learning to walk through these mental states, which is actually what you've been doing here on this retreat. You know, if you think on your walking path, how many times, you know, those mental states have arisen, you know, the better idea, the craving, you know, I hate this, the aversion, you know, the restlessness, you know, and the doubt. How many times those mental states have arisen on your walking path and on your cushion? And how many times you've actually learned to walk through them, hmm? knowing that they're there, and yet returning to your intentionality. Um, how many times you've sat through those, those mental states, and yet been undeterred. They can be very difficult, but in a way you've learned to sit beside them, and to sit with them, and to sit through them. This is a very powerful lesson for our lives and in terms of intentionality. But the Buddha pretty much recognized that it's not about, you know, one way of viewing this practice is that we're really in a battle with the difficult, you know, and, and that's our job. We're in a battle with the obscurations, with the difficult, with the painful. The other way of viewing this pathway, which is actually, I think, far more accurate, is that we are learning to cultivate the skillful and the healing and the liberating, and in the light of these, the difficult begin to be uprooted and fall away. So it's really a little bit about where we locate our attention. You know, do we locate our attention in kind of this ongoing struggle and battle with everything that's hard? Or do we locate our attention in actually what we're cultivating? What is being brought into being? And if you think of the Pali word for meditative practice, bhavana, uh, there's no mention there actually of fighting the difficult. It, how it translates is to cultivate, is to bring into being, to bring into being. And clearly what we're cultivating and bringing into being is not more difficulties. You know, we're actually cultivating that which is healing, that which is liberating. So it's interesting how we locate our attention, and I just want you to think about that, how you locate your attention in your own practice. Do you locate it in what you feel you need to get rid of, or do you locate your attention in what there might be the possibility in cultivating in this moment? Okay. It's a very different focus. It's a very different orientation in practice. So the Buddha said, basically, and I, and I think we, we have talked about this over and over again, is, you know, we are concerned with cultivating the qualities that awaken us, that liberate the moment that nurture the heart, that nurture the mind of clarity. This is our concern in the practice. Sometimes we forget this, don't we? And we, get, and we resort once more to, you know, how am I going to work with this? You know, and how are we working with it? It's not in any way to dismiss the difficult. But perhaps the difficult is made more accessible in the light of the qualities that can be brought into being. 
So mindfulness, this is very obvious. This is what we've been engaged in cultivating here, our willingness and capacity to be equally near all things with kindness, with discernment, with curiosity, that quality of mindfulness, being wakeful in the moment. We have been actually engaged in a lot of experiential investigation. What's going on here? What's the nature of this? Being able to unpack the, the constructions, you know, some of that seems so dense around who I am, around how we believe things to be. Being able to unpeel some of that a little bit. We've certainly been engaged in cultivating energy, you know, simply through showing up that sustaining attention, we've certainly been involved in cultivating energy. We cultivate joy, cultivate gladness of heart. You know, as the Buddha put it, you know, this is a path of happiness that leads to the highest happiness, and the highest happiness is peace. We learn to, to awaken our sense doors to how to appreciate you know, the beauty around us. We learn to awaken our our capacity for appreciation inwardly, for some of the generosity and kindness that we've spoken about so much. We learn to gladden the heart, to brighten the heart, to actually begin to touch upon that inwardly generated capacity for happiness and joy. This is why, you know, we give so much emphasis to formal practice, because there is something so profound in a world where we are so accustomed to externalizing the sources of happiness and the sources of joy, which leads obviously into a whole lot of hungriness and craving and insufficiency. We're learning through the practice about inwardly generated happiness, inwardly generated peace in the midst of all conditions. Certainly, we've been learning about cultivating tranquility, (laughs) calming, serenity, stepping out of the field of agitation. We've been learning a lot about concentration, about our capacity to focus, our capacity to be one-pointed, and about equanimity, that sense of being able to be upright, in the midst of all things, equally near all things. And you know, sometimes we don't always cognize or articulate what it is that we're doing. But actually what we have been doing this entire week is cultivating these qualities that awaken the moment, that bring wakefulness inwardly. And you have probably seen, although this is not a linear process, you have probably seen, at least in moments, I hope, the way in which those awakening factors actually do calm what we call the obscurations or the hindrance veiling factors. If you notice that there is more calming of the craving, more calming of the aversion, more calming of the restlessness and worry, more more brightening of the sloth and torpor, and perhaps little moments of confidence, of trust. But you've noticed that they have decreased, not because you've won the battle, 
not because you've managed to overcome these more, more complex and difficult mental states. They, 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 it's, they come simply because of what you have been cultivating here. So I think it, it, it is actually, I mean, I hope it can be helpful to have that framework of, you know, this, this process of waking up is always a, a kind of interplay between that which we're cultivating, which allows the falling away of something else. A little bit, I was, as I was talking about last night, talking about renunciation, that I don't do it. That letting go, relinquishment, unbinding happens because there are the qualities and the conditions there to support it. So today, you know, because sometimes we practice the hindrances, don't we? I mean, that's interesting. It's not like they just happen to us, you know. I mean, we actually practice them. You know, I can practice restlessness and worry really well. You know, I can practice aversion quite with some expertise, you know. I can practice craving quite actively. So it's kind of like having that sense that indeed every moment we are practicing something. And in a, in a genuine sense, it's about where we're making our home. Where we're making our home and what is being practiced in this moment quite consciously, quite intentionally, nurturing our inner capacity for wakefulness. And in that, actually, learning to liberate the moment from that which seems to cloud or imprison or limit it. So again, just taking our seat very gently, very kindly, in an upright way. Just checking in with the the posture of your back, your neck. Finding that sense of alertness, wakefulness in your posture, in your body. Feeling yourself sitting, inhabiting your body just as it is in this moment. No need for something other to be happening than what is. Meeting this moment with curiosity, with kindness, with mindfulness, And establishing an anchor, a connection, a foundation of mindfulness within the body. Within the body breathing or within the body listening. Within this moment.
and inner listening and inner attentiveness.
So, as everyone knows, this is the last full day of the retreat. And just to take a moment to look at the schedule with you. Um, You don't have to look at it yourself, but (laughs) I'm sure everyone has memorized it by now. Um, As you may notice, there's um, some optional groups with Maddie. Uh, There's one at 9.15 for groups A and B, and so check for your name on the board. And then there are groups C and D um, in the next walking period, 10.45, with Maddie as well in room 200. I want to encourage those of you, especially in group A, uh, to go to the group. Um, None of you have had an interview group since Tuesday, any any of you in these groups. So it might be really helpful to have some Dharma nourishment. Um, You know, the groups are going to be most likely too big to go around and have everyone have time to speak. So even if you want to go and just listen to what others have to say, it might be a really good thing to do. So especially encouraging you, uh, those of you in Group A, because of being so new, and Group B, you know, new too. Um, So even though they're optional, big encouragement to go. And then the afternoon, um, you might have noticed that there are groups at three, and there'll be yogi groups, yogini groups, um, groups together. Uh, So nothing to think about, let it go, no problem, no rehearsing, truly no rehearsing in this instance. (laughs) Don't waste your brain cells that way. Um, But just just make sure that you come. And... um, Yeah, really do everything today. Christine is saying, you know, come at 2.15 so that we can explain the groups, but really do everything today. Really do the whole complete schedule today, including coming at 2.15. And um, also the manager's talk. We ask everyone to come to the manager's talk at 4.30, even if you've been to many manager's talks before. And um, then the gathering in the meditation hall at 7.15, again, is just a really lovely way to get together at the end of the day. So nothing to think about or rehearse about that as well. I was um, brought up Catholic, but I I have a a father who's Jewish. So I ended up going to a lot of seders when I was little. It was kind of like going to a foreign country, a foreign land. So I have lots of gaps in my understanding of Judaism. But one thing that... I kept hearing over and over again in Seder's is that this is a day like any other day. You know, it kind of haunted me. This is a day like any other day. (laughs) So, yes, this is a day like any other day. And yet, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different. There's different content. There's different conditions. And yet, it's a day. It's a day. So, really, the encouragement, the invitation, really, you know, ehi pasiko, the Buddha saying, come and see, come and see the invitation to enter into today in a full way, to really honor this, these incredible conditions that we have, the container of the retreat, to really honor and respect the container. And just that sense of leaning into the next moment or trying to lean into tomorrow, which is absolutely impossible to do. It's just a mental construction. We have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow. 
And this is a day that's a little bit poignant, you know, because there can be some some thoughts or it, there can be some excitement or interest in what might happen tomorrow in an interesting way. There might be some concern or some nervousness about leaving. So there's a little bit of a bittersweet, you know, poignancy to it, the flavor of it for many of us today is, is just a little bit on the tender side. So please, to be tender, to be tender with the day, to really... You know, encourage yourself to just be with this moment, to be with this moment. Then when we leave, and so many of our questions have to do with how we can practice when we leave, the best way to practice when you leave is to be here now. That's the, that's the way that the practice is going to really be able to continue for you and thrive in your usual everyday life, is through practicing being present now. So everything's set up for that. Everything here is conducive for dropping in over and over again. So just that encouragement to lovingly reconnect, losing yourself. Ah, you know, gone. No problem. Never mind. Lovingly reconnect over and over again. Okay. I think that's it. I think that's it. Okay. So, um, moving for most of you into this next uh, walking period. And um, for those of you who have the groups in room 200, thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.